ਵਾਹਿਗੁਰੂ ਜੀ ਕਾ ਖਾਲਸਾ ਵਾਹਿਗੁਰੂ ਜੀ ਕੀ ਫਤਿਹ ਵਾਹਿਗੁਰੂ ਜੀ ਕਾ ਖਾਲਸਾ ਵਾਹਿਗੁਰੂ ਜੀ ਕੀ ਫਤਿਹ ਕੈਨ ਯੂ ਹੀਅਰ ਮੀ ਯੈਸ ਆਈ ਕੈਨ ਹੀਅਰ ਯੂ ਕਲੀਅਰਲੀ ਕੈਨ ਯੂ ਯੈਪ ਲਾਊਡ ਐਂਡ ਕਲੀਅਰ ਆਈ ਕੈਨ ਹੀਅਰ ਯੂ ਲਾਈਕ ਦੀ ਮੁਗਲਸ ਹਰਡ ਦੀ ਵੋਇਸ ਆਫ ਭਾਈ ਬੋਤਾ ਸਿੰਘ ਆਹ ਦੈਟਸ ਕਲੀਅਰ ਇਨਫ ਥੈਨ very clear so before beginning let's just discuss the past few episodes the uh, trans episode collateral damage has done a lot of damage was it collateral or direct pretty much direct because even though there was a lot of hatred against it venomous pathological hatred there was no direct refutation of the facts mentioned therein and how many feelings were hurt well imagine if this world is you know taken over by that madness both of us will be the first to killed in the new world order mm, that pretty much explains it Yep, that explains quite a lot. And then the Guru Tegh about their episode, I mean, you heard that with Sardar Inderjeet Singh, heavily detailed, heavily profound, and the Islamist Dava Givers and Audrey Trashke, both of them blocked and ran. So, a simple podcast that was highly informative, was fact-based, and they couldn't refute it. Well apparently it's pretty islamophobic as well but I mean I challenge them to prove it none of them were able to and we know that Trushki being you know on the left spectrum of academia they usually can only uh, shout at allegations thinking cancel culture stormtroopers would do the rest but unfortunately for them as cancel culture is dying a slow death all they can do is just label a allegation and run for it I do believe that's a very very effective tactic because if if somebody puts a label on you then uh, there is a possibility that you might be left defending yourself rather than doing what you need to do. You need to remember down here that times are beginning to change and the labels they've been putting on to individuals they don't agree with or let's say individuals who expose their lies those labels in the next 2 years will probably become medals of honor. Well, currently it's like uh, if if they block you, I say, yep, I pretty much won this debate. Well, basically at the end of the day, the blocking issue, I don't really believe that the blocking alone serves any purpose. If someone wants to hold it up as a medal of honor, that's, you know, up to them. But what I do believe is at the end of the day, even if they block you and they can't answer your arguments, then at the end of the day, and I mean, look, regarding Trushki, she's got it down in a book. a book which is you know now beginning to stop selling so she's doomed herself for history and you know that postmodernist leftist academics have nothing to contribute to society uh is your truth different than their truth well basically my truth is the same truth it says that we are opposing the lies they're peddling Okay, I'm going to let this go because <laughs> then we'll go off topic but I got a cracking joke. I'll tell you later. 
Yep. So the episode we had today, we uh, the Twitter team actually incited a lot of controversy about it. Uh, it was a direct attack on woke individuals straight away, and the whole in uh, the whole incident which has transpired is that there has been this. Uh, well, I mean, both sides have held accusations at each other, but as far as I can see it, the main opposition, which is now beginning to form among our listeners and as well as other you know normal everyday practicing Sikhs is that the Dilsaf, the upgrades and you know the rest of the whole vacuous lot like them are imposing this really liberal we will die for you aspect of Sikh history on non-Sikhs where we're actually breeding a dangerous sense of entitlement among friend and foe alike very simple question right when exactly have Sikhs died for others? You tell me. Well, we should ask them. Well, basically, the issue they bring is, look, once you have a one-sided perspective of history, you're going to end up, you know, dooming yourself over and over again. Those contemporary Persian sources in the Guru Tegh about their episode delineate that Aurangzeb was very you know, afraid of the Guru because the Sikhs weren't going to convert to Islam. And so he decided to, you know, execute the Guru. And the Guru used his own strategies so that, you know, his successor could, you know, obviously ratify the Khalsa without the Sikhs taking too much loss. So he sacrificed his life. The Pandits coming to Anandapur is only one little minor facet of the whole broad incident which transpired the work lot you know, these same people these same people on social media running around uh, who claim that Sikhs die for others right would you agree they with this yep would you agree with this assessment that they're the same people who support Khalistan at the same time paradox there's the paradox. So on one hand, they're talking about, you know, national preservation for Sikhs, national pride for Sikhs. On the other hand, they're claiming that Sikhs are selfless enough to not believe in these uh, elements and uh, self for other people. So which one is it at the end of the day? And, you know, Sardar Inderjit Singh was saying that a lot are so blind that initially when we were fighting the Muslims, we were supporting the Hindus. And now we were fighting the Hindus, we were supporting the Muslims. And we get backstabbed all the time. The way I see it, because I've seen some of these people and unfortunately some of them exist in my extended family as well. Yep. They just take a single incident, a single small incident from Sikh history, allegedly. Yep. And then base their entire life off of it. Yep, pretty much. That's it. I mean, the... Here's something uh, we did discuss with the uh, Gani in India, and this is what they're saying. It's hard to wake up in the morning and do Nithinim, right? Getting up at 5 a.m., it's difficult than staying up till 5 a.m. Right. So if you're sleeping at night watching all this Kanjatpo and doing Randibaji on social media, you sleep at 1 o'clock and you expect to get up at 5, it's not going to happen, right? That's nope. why, ne yep. That's why Neki and company are saying that the guru said, "Don't." Uh, the guru's never said to do nithinim, right? One 
aspect lockdown. So then these people are saying there is no need to get up in the morning and do nithinam because that's a ritual. You can't keep your case. You are scared to put on the kakars and go outside. So you know what the excuse is then? This is, yep, this is Pujari. Yep, this is Pajari Vadi history. The gurus never did this. Our history has been corrupted, right? And Yep, that's what they say. Hard things, right? Really hard to do these things. Uh, well, it's uh, you, you know, you have to change with time, and you should be a progressive person, and you should accept this. You know, you know, it's twenty twenty two. You can't keep any discipline. You're going to sell your body on OnlyFans. You're going to whore around. Males and females, both of them, really hard to respect yourself. You know what you say? Sikhi is progressive to counter that. No, I, I can't judge you. Yep. <laughs> yep. That's another one. But why is it that when you find all these other pillars so hard and so impossible to follow that you suddenly do the virtue signaling? I, I think that that's the easiest thing to do because there's not much effort. That is exactly the easiest thing to do. So Langar, which was always supposed to be in a Gurdwara, where Sikhs actually invited you to partake with them of the meal with Sikhs cooked themselves, which was, you know, primarily for the community, but also for the others who were invited to the Gurdwaras and who came and respected Sikh decorum. And they sat down and had a meal together, extrapolated, expanded outside the Gurdwara. It isn't a Langar anymore, Right. That's not to say that, you know, poor people should not be helped outside. But here with the sense of entitlement, which is being bred, they have turned Langar into commercialized virtue signaling and nothing else. Well, since uh, we are both from Punjab, yeah. It, yep. I'm going to say this and it's going to be real offensive, but it's the truth. And a lot of people will actually agree with, with me. It's, yep. a, it's a great business. Yep. Let's say let's say you collected hundred dollars, yeah. Yep. Is there going to be an overseer committee watching you? How much money do you actually spend? Yep. No, there isn't going to be one. If you collect hundred and you spend like maybe thirty, thirty-five, forty, let's say, the rest of the yep. money is either going into your pocket or it's going to uh, you can go. It's going to fund your lavish lifestyle or something. And anybody who questions you hates Langar, hates Guru Sahib, hates, hates Gurbani, and hates Sikhi. And is an RSS agent. Yeah, certified, certified. <clears throat> you see, if we do move on, these individuals have this stupidity ingrained in them that... In Sikh history, we have only died for others. We have done nothing for ourselves. Well, that's the question. Give us the examples. When have Sikhs died for others? Right. So the incidents we are discussing today, the martyrdom we are discussing today, it's going to be quite crystal clear that Sikhs have primarily fought for themselves. When there is an open invitation to you 
that you can become one of us. Why are you not doing it? Exactly. Exactly. So and the I incident... Yep. I want the listeners to think about it. Instead of me fighting for you, why can't you become one of us? Why can't you fight for yourself? It's simple as that. See, I recently finished reading this book called uh, Anti-Woke. You know, the uh, journalist Brendan O'Neill, he's quite famous nowadays. He's quite politically incorrect and not correct. But uh, Neil has written this, you know, anti-Voke book, and it's a series of his essays which have uh, appeared in print media. And he makes this, you know, quite a strong argument, which is that BLM infantilizes black people, right? Uh, second wave feminism infantilizes women in general. Basically, all across the board, you have all these movements going on which infantilize these, uh, you know, victims of historic wrong. And it's amazing how you see even Airwoke lot jumping on this bandwagon. Some liberal white people believe they're victims because their ancestors supposedly mistreated black people, right? Mm -hmm. How many black people in general do you see educated black people reiterate the same sense of victimhood? Well, that's for our American listeners primarily, because that's the country with a high percentage of a black population, so it's up to them. But uh, let me make a, a point here. Yep. These people, these so-called Western bond books, they are the products of the local education system, whether it's American or Canadian. Yep, there is nothing speak about them other than their parents, even, you know, their parents, which they're betraying itself. Yeah, there is not much Sikh about them. They might have got some Sikh names or maybe some, they might even look like Sikhs, but they are the products of the American education system. They receive the same indoctrinations as the other other American school kids or college kids do. Uh, actually, uh, there's a quite, a, quite a funny video I saw a few, uh, a few days ago. There's a guy who dresses up like a... I don't know what's that called. It's a, it's a traditional Mexican robe kind of thing. Yep. Poncho? Yeah. Uh, uh, could be called Poncho. Okay, yep. Yeah. Uh, I think you, you, you're getting that. He asks uh, young, uh, primarily white university kids or college kids, said, do, you, uh, do you think this is acceptable? They said, no, no, this is cultural appropriation. This is offensive. And then he, he he wearing the exact same outfit. He goes on the streets and he meets uh, many people uh, people who are, who are Mexican. He asks them, "Do you like this? Uh, is it all right?" They say, "Yeah, go ahead. You look good." So they were offended on somebody else's behalf. So they infantilize them back the Mex Mexican people that if somebody's wearing your well traditional or cultural or national costume, it's unacceptable. Do you think if, if a white guy comes to India and starts wearing a kurta pajama, I'll be offended? <laughs> you know, this infantilizing business, this victim mentality, do you see much difference between that and the uh, jihadis? 
Uh, elaborate, please. Well, they both claim themselves to be victims. One claims themselves to be the victims of crusades and, you know, Western-oriented racism and colonialism. And this other lot are saying they're victims of the same thing, except that their own forefathers did it. And that also victimizes them somehow, even though the individuals who they did it to, their descendants don't feel the same way. Do you know when exactly was slavery abolished in Saudi Arabia? Never. It's never been abolished in Arabia. If I remember correctly, Islam actually advocates for slavery. No, on paper it was abolished in 1960s. 1960s, under American pressure. Under American pressure, but it's an accepted legal practice even today in the Islamic world. It is. Yet none of them are going to go down there and oppose the slavery down there in the name of BLM, are they? Because that will be pit, uh, pitting oppressed minorities against oppressed minorities. No, you have to draw a victim pyramid, and they're too afraid to do that. Who ranks higher, who, who ranks lower? We don't know. Yep, that's pretty much it. So moving on from there, talking about two individuals who did thrash a lot of inner victims. So let's take our glance, our gaze to 1739 Punjab, right? Mm-hmm. The Maja region is bereft of the Sikh presence. Sikhs have been wiped out. They've gone down fighting. Their women have been molested and butchered. Their kids have been burnt on pyres, all because they refuse to convert to Islam. No, no, no. That's offensive. They just refuse to share their culture. That's the correct way to say it. <laughs> well, they can't change reality. They can't rewrite history. And we will continue as it is. So this is 1739. Uh, you can look up uh, Ratan Singh Pangu, Shri Gurpant Prakash for more reference and the works of Dr. Ganda Singh and Surjit Singh Gandhi. Simple uh, statement. Pangu. Yep, simple statement. So the edition of the Pant Prakash, which I'm using, is the Gurtet Singh edition because he clarifies a lot of aspects which others have missed out in their editions. I mean, for example, the uh, Kalvant Singh edition, Kalvant Singh actually adds some terms in English which are not there in the Gurmukhi, so I don't trust that even though they're both similar. Anyhow, 1739 and in Maja, there is not a single Sikh left. Mm -hmm. So one night, two travelers are traveling down a road, right? They're on a cart. And suddenly one of them says, yo, yo, stop, bro, stop. <laughs> I'm just modernizing this for some listeners, for the younger guys. And the other one is like, well, what's gotten into you? And this first one says, I just thought I saw a Singh run past. Okay. And this other one is like, well, the Singhs have been wiped out. The government has won, you know, and for all the uh, crimes they commit. And what was this crime? Not believing in the Islamist theocracy or kowtowing to the Hindu elite. So these were the two major crimes. That was it pretty much. And what this other individual is saying is that well, for all their misdeeds or crimes or transgressions, they were pretty brave. They fought to the bitter end. So this individual you have seen can't be a Singh. He's probably some coward hiding behind the guise of a Singh. Hmm. Now, this is the part where the likes of Harjot Obroy, 
Pashora Singh, McLeod and company pretty much die in runoff, right? If the Sikh identity was so fluid back in the day that it didn't exist, then how the hell did they identify that there was a Singh running around in the middle of the night? Oh, he had a couple of Langar parties in his hands, man. <laughs> I mean, if the five Kakars did not exist, as that idiot Puneet Sahani keeps on arguing, how did they identify this was a Singh? I just gave you the answer. Yeah, he probably also had a defund the police and I spot BLM sign somewhere on his hand as well. No, no, no. He, he was just, just, just going to feed the people who were putting a big sign on the highway, man. <laughs> well, anyway, the travelers move on. They decide to move on thinking they saw something, you know, which wasn't there. Imagination. Darkness. But you know what the reality was, what the truth was? Tell me. There actually was a Singh, and he had uh, hidden in the bushes. Well, at that time, guerrilla warfare was our method of resisting the tyranny. So, yeah, acceptable. Acceptable, but the thing is, at the end of the day, that, you know, Punjab wasn't like it is today, right? There were bushes on the roadside where you could conceal yourself. Pretty much at the Punjab, it's a semi-arid area with not much surface water. So it was kind of a thorny forest all around before the English actually cleared it into made it and made it into canal colonies. Yep. And what happens after that pretty much is that this individual... See, now there are lots of uh, theories onto this because when I was younger, I used to read and... I used to read in a lot of books and hear Tadivars that, you know, by Bota Singh had actually separated from his Jatha, which had come to Amritsar. But Bangu does not actually specifically mention anything along those lines, right? So what it is really is that this Singh in the bushes is by Bota Singh. And we do not know much about his background. I mean, we have no conducive 101% verified evidence as to whether he was born into a Sikh family or whether he converted to Sikhi. We know he was a Sikh and we do have a rough idea of where he was based in the Maja, but besides that, we do not know anything more about this figure. However, I believe that Surjit Singh Gandhi did uncover some contemporary Persian records from the, uh, you know, which were part of the official Mughal uh, network at Lahore, which do mention that two Singhs did what Pai Bota Singh and Garja Singh eventually did. So the Singh in the bushes is Pai Bota Singh, right? Mm -hmm. Now, he lives in a small village in Madja, or we can, you know, assume on the outskirts of this village. It seems he's quite aware about the purges which are being taken out against the Sikhs. But because he's single, he's alone, he's pretty much uh, formed the strategy that he only ventures out during the night. So less traffic, less chances of him being seen and, you know, whatever happens after that. So when he's hiding in the bushes and he hears this little, you know, conversation about, you know, things being brave and dying and this being, you know, a coward who's acting like a Singh, it cuts him to the quick, right? He receives it as a wound on his heart. And when he goes back to wherever it is he's living, 
he decides that he has to do something for the pant he decides he will stake his life on this if he has to and that he needs to do something really conspicuous to declare to the government and the society around him that the sings haven't died right mhm so what by botas and does is now you get the impression the way our historians have portrayed this event is that by botasing was you know your typical run off the mill how would you say lumberjack type you know fists first brains later type of individual i mean would you agree with that assessment that's how they portray him uh kind of agree yep but in reality he his mind was very strategic right so he forms the strate- uh, strategy nurdin di sara is a particular area on the lahore amritsar road and at that time it was surrounded by bushes by forests and along the outskirts of this road is this you know uh, massive uh grove of trees so it's quite a sheltered place and this is where pai botasing sets up his camp and he pegs four stakes around on the road itself and within this he forms this very uh, he builds this ad hoc taxation booth now what happens is that people pass it all the time but he's attacking them or well not attacking them but he's coming out randomly so this creates this uh aura of you know almost the semi uh, semi mythology around him that people are saying well look we came from nurdin sararor and the sing suddenly appeared he's got a big stick in his hand he's armed with a sword and daggers and he demanded taxation and then the others are saying well wait a second we drove along the same road we saw this dilapidated uh, dilapidated structure but there was no sing what are you talking about the government has wiped them out so you know he's got people thinking that the other party is a idiot Hmm. strategy yep strategy now soon enough another singh arangreta singh who uh, is a convert to sikhi whose name is garja singh but they also mention him as mota singh these seem to be the two same individuals he hears about this uh, ad hoc taxation booth for a better expression and he decides to go So when Botha Singh sees that this is another Singh, he invites them over, they greet each other, they find out about each other, and then they decide that both of them will now tax together. So you're telling me that he was a pioneer in the toll booth or toll road technology, and he also hired people. <laughs> well, you That's can capitalism. say it was a... <laughs> <laughs> well you know what makes it worth uh makes it even worse for the law to argue against capitalism tell me why garja singh was a volunteer <sighs> go on right so what their plan really is now this is how you can say strategic minded they are is okay a long time ago when i used to do kyukushin karate there was this fight in japan between a boxer and you know obviously the karateka 
And the karate car was told only one thing by his sensei. Hit the legs. Right? Mm-hmm. So here's the boxer coming in with these fast jabs, punches. He's getting the Kratika in the face, but the Kratika is, you know, strong enough to not really be too stunned. And he just keeps on targeting those legs. And at the end of three rounds, the boxer just collapses. Totally stunned. Yeah. Not, no longer able to stand. Nope. No longer able to stand. Now... Why do you think they attack the boxer's legs? Uh, probably because a boxer's legs are not his strength. He never uses them. Probably, you know, runs around, walks around, dodges punches. But uh, no, he, he never uses them to kick. Right. And the legs are essential to the boxer because... Where does good attack? Where does a good attack originate from? From your footwork. Yeah, the punch, the punch, the power comes from the ankle. That's where it starts. Yeah, that's true. Right. So, the boxer's feet are his center of gravity. Mm -hmm. And if you hit the center of gravity, the structure collapses. Yep. Sipir Africanus never attacked Hannibal directly until the battle at Carthage. So when Africanus marched to Carthage, he could have laid siege to it. He sent half his army to do that. But the other half he personally led to Carthage's uh, uh, farmlands because those farmlands were necessary for the city to survive. Right? Got the he center of gravity? Uh, pardon? He salted them. Yep, he salted them. So now what happens is Hannibal realizes that, you know, his legs are in a bind. So if Hannibal was the boxer, you can say that Africanus has given him soul and legs. He can't hold out for long. He needs to change his strategy. And when he goes to change his strategy, that's when Africanus sports a gap and just destroys the legs even more. Instead of kicking them, he chops them off. Yep, chops them off. Now, I know the listeners will be thinking, what does all this have to do with Pai Botas and Garja Singh, but just bear with us. Sherman's doctrine of total war, right? He goes and destroys all the southern economic centers and the Confederate armies collapse suddenly. It's, it's very similar to what Russia is doing in Ukraine. Pretty much. So what happens is how do you hit a genocidal state? You hit its tax. The support base. The support base. So what by Botha Singh and Garja Singh do, they start charging taxation on that road. They had exact amounts, yeah? Yep. Exact amount is one anna for a bullock cart and a pesa for a donkey. What would the modern equivalent be? Bullock cart could be a tractor trailer, a, a lorry, or a simple semi truck could be a donkey. Yep. So, what would be the currency uh, conversion? About, uh, um, I don't know, could be in 
dollars or something. Right. So why they're doing this now, many individuals will argue, many of this Delsa flot, that there are a lot of poor individuals using that road. Why are Pai Bota Singh and Garja Singh targeting them? Because the poor individuals, in my view, had something to gain by inform informing on six. Exactly. So all this Delsa stupidity about, you know, oppressed minorities and individuals not reflecting their society can be, you know, destroyed with this uh, event here. You heard about the village of Alsu near Anandapur? Yeah, I've heard about it. Yeah. Yeah. Muslim Rangars, Guru Gobind Singh Ji, destroyed the whole village and drove them out. Yep, that, that's true. That happens, yeah. Mus uh, Rangars are uh, Rajput Muslims. Right. And what it essentially was at the end of the day is that all those Rangars, men, women, children, were spying on Sikhs, party to harassing Sikhs, and the Guru decided that the village had to go. So when the village was destroyed, basically this village, which the Mughals and the Hindu hill chiefs had established with a lot of money, the you know military, the anti-Sikh military, lost a vital source of intelligence as well as expenditure and manpower when that village was destroyed. But the villagers received a stunning psychological blow that the very government, which our religion sports, which we believe is our religious mandated right, that perfect government and our perfect God cannot save us from the Sikhs. We messed with the wrong people. True. They went around forewarning others, and essentially all these villages around Anandapur, most of them decided they wanted no stake in the fight against the Sikhs. They learned the lesson. They learned their lesson, and they learned it pretty quick. So, and... Look at the stupidity today when they say that the Guru couldn't have done this. This is mentioned in the Shri Gursova, one of the most authentic texts, and they're claiming that this might be a Pujari Vati text. Well, at the end of the day, the Guru was a commander, a warrior, a general. He wasn't stupid like the Dilsafs today, right? He knew that at the end of the day, you have to hit the society which supports the government which commits genocide. Even the uh, genocide convention laws today, in heavy detail, they mandate sanctions on genocidal governments. So those sanctions hurt the society which votes for those governments. Even, uh, if, that, are... yep, even uh, if that society does not itself physically participate in the genocide. Who headed this convention? Uh, I can't really remember now, but I have read about it. And basically, that's what they're saying is there was an argument made that you can't blame individuals. But the United Nations at the time decided, well, individuals have to bear the burden of the misdeeds of their governments. Well, if the convention was headed by straight white men, then we must abolish it. Oh, yes, yes, yes. We must decolonize ourselves from the internal whiteness we have within us. Yep, yep, yep. Right, so by Bota Singh and Garja Singh, taxing both the rich and the poor are basically taking the principle of total war enunciated by Sherman because Sherman, they say he discovered it, but I believe he just uh, named a principle rule of nature regarding warfare. 
this theory of total warfare that you have to actually uh, deal psychological blows to the civilian population to stop the military at least makes total sense by Bottasing and Garjasing start taxing rich and poor alike and suddenly, very suddenly, while the taxation is decreasing towards Lahore, Lahore does not actually find out at the time because, you know, Mughal Empire is decentralized, Mughal Empire is decentralized, the emperor is just a perverted cuck in the Delhi throne. And what's actually happening is that Zakaria Khan, the governor of Lahore, is taking power for himself. Now, he's actually robbing from the royal treasury. So what he's doing is he's paying these tributes in lump sums, but it would have been easy for him to pay them in installments, but then he won't be able to hide his own, you know, dodgy dealings. So basically what's happening is there is this talk of things, you know, taxing people on the Nurdin Sarah Road, the highway, you know, that's why we call this episode the highway to hell. But no one is really able to confirm whether they exist or not. Hmm. Now, obviously, there are individuals who will cry that, you know, this isn't built off enough that they text poor and rich alike. But I personally have no problem with that because war is hell. And even though Guru Maharaj has forbidden us, you know, rape, plunder and, you know, unwarranted killing in war, that still leaves a lot of space open to find and seek warfare where Sikhs have dealt, you know, very swift, rapid, brutal attacks just to shut down the uh, military operations of the other side. And if it necessitated these attacks on, you know, civil populations, all the better. We don't kill without reason. We don't rape. We do none of those things. But if we have to drive the civil population out of their houses, so be it. That that's the reality of war. It's, it's, it's not like you can just uh, do your gardening when there are bombs raining around you. Exactly, and you know, Banda Singh, Bahadur Ji, Nawab Kapoor Singh Ji, Missile Sardars, even Maharaja Ranjit Singh, when they used to conquer a territory, they used to establish who was the victims of you know tyranny, and who were the culprits. And the victims were given full free leeway to do whatever they wanted to do to their tormentors. They would be given one to two days to wipe out all their tormentors. True. Right. And I mean, that's why these slaves in Sirhind actually sported a Baba Banda Singh. They did. Right. So. Even though many would cry that that is uh, Islamophobic, blah, 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 blah. Well, we are pretty proud of our history. So by Botas and Garjas and continue taxing individuals randomly on Nordin the Sarah Road. And is guess what they're history, using? Yep. Is my history contingent upon what you feel about it? <laughs> well, we can't change history, even though our emotions might be hurt by it. No, no, these people will. Well, they can continue because we are going to oppose them 101%. Right? That's what, well, uh, that's a part of it, changing the history. No, we must teach the real history. Real history is what I feel it is. Pretty much. By Botasing and Garjasing, we're non-binary or whatever other rubbish they'll probably come up with. Oh, man, I'm too afraid to say what they might think about it. <laughs> right, Billy. 
the listeners are wise enough to understand the indication and the listeners I'm sure will oppose them. So now guess what they're doing with all the money they're collecting through taxation. Uh, give me four options. Hey, they're buying weapons for themselves and sending the remainder to the Singhs in the jung uh, in other areas of Punjab or outside Punjab fighting against the uh, government of the day. Mm-hmm. B, they're setting up langars. C, they're going out and spending these hard-earned resources on oppressed minorities and other communities who will backstab the Sikhs, who are backstabbing the Sikhs. Or D, they're devaluing the value of currency in the hearts and minds of their contemporary society. Uh, I think it's C. Which one? They're spending that money on oppressed minorities. <laughs> totally, ignoring remember... the fact, totally ignoring the fact that we are the minority which was oppressed. Yep, I mean, I can imagine that, you know, the faces of the Dilsaf work lot when they listen to this episode will be the same as the uh, as Zakaria's face when Bota Singh plays a prank on him next. Actually, there is an idiotic theory that they have longer, but there is no evidence of this. In reality, you know what these two were doing with the money? Tell me. They purchased some rudimentary weapons for themselves, but the rest they sent to the Guru's forge fighting for Khalsarad. That's what they did. Oh, Voko, thori sharam kar lea karo. There's actually, uh, okay. You and I both know that Punjab has got no mineral resources. Yep. There's, there's no iron? Nope. Not even any non-metal minerals? Yep. Nothing much? Yep. Well, there are some in the Pakistani part of Punjab, but not in the current part of Punjab, yeah? Yep. So if they have to even buy a sword, where is the iron or steel coming from? They have to purchase a ready-made product. Yeah, so since you are on the run, you have to pay them via gold coins or silver coins or whatever the currency is at that time. Yep. So they use them to buy weapons. Pretty much. I mean, they knew what the outcome of what they were doing was going to be eventually. It wasn't like that we're going to hold longer for these people who are coming and going. Ah, man, okay. (laughs) It's hard. I'm trying really, really hard not to crack any jokes because I, I might get shot for it. But, uh, well, I think today or tomorrow is, it's going to be a reality anyhow. But yeah, let's continue. Right. So they're purchasing weapons. They're getting ready for a fight. Not like the, oh, it's a democracy today. We should not fight. You know, there's that particular idiot as well. <laughs> anyhow, <clears throat> these two have very tough bodies. They only have their kachera and shawls and their dastars. Otherwise, you can imagine that these are basically, you know, unprivileged peasants who have converted to Sikhi who are ready to die for their, you know, taram. Hmm. Right. Now, at the onset, they have staked their head for the punk. They accept martyrdom as a cost, but martyrdom isn't the aim. No, 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 no. 
right? They want to live as long as possible to keep hitting the Mughals really hard. And their presence is slowly but surely making people question the perfection of Islamic theocracy. <clears throat> that why can't Allah save us from being taxed by these things? But not just that. There's another psychological uh, effect on people that the current regime can no longer protect us. Yep, especially one which claims that God has chosen it. Yeah. Right. So, moving on from there, Bota Singh one day is sitting down with Garja Singh and he says to him, well, you know, Garja, we are coming out even more and more in the open now. People are paying up. Those who don't, we just smash the crap out of them with their kicker sticks. Really, all these punks who are going around, the rich would like the Sikhs wiped out. They support the Sikh genocide, the Sikh holocaust, because at the end of the day, their transgressions will not be avenged if there is no Sikh. The poor, the lower castes, they get material comfort in the form of money and a bit of a levy in their you know, daily lives from their elites if they rape and kill Sikhs, right? Mm -hmm. We are taxing them. We are weakening them. And basically, look at it this way. If they use their common sense, our tax is singular. Look at the other tax. If you have a beautiful wife, you will be taxed. If you aren't a Muslim, you will be taxed. If you aren't rich, you will be taxed. And these kote, these asses, still haven't gone and told Zakaria that this is happening here in Punjab. If you had to celebrate your religious festivals, you had to pay a tax? Yep, you definitely have to pay a tax. And because uh, uh, you know you you have dared to be different. Yeah, because you're a dhimmi. Yeah. Well, that let's let's not go there. That's uh, Islamophobic. <laughs> you ha you have to pay a jizya. Protection tax, like a like a like a gangster would ask you to. Pretty much. So what happens is Bhutta Singh sits down and decides he's going to write a letter to Zakaria Khan. So this shows he was pretty educated as well. It does. And not just it educated. It, yep. it was just, wasn't a couple of sentences. It was poetic. So poetic that, you know, Zakaria Khan wanted to literally die when he read the letter. It was so inflammatory. You ever received an inflammatory letter in your life? Uh, I received a lot of messages on, on online social media, but uh, not a letter. I have sent a letter, but it wasn't inflammatory, it was informative. Well, pretty much the Sikh Renaissance Twitter account, the messages are usually, you know, death threats. The, the usual? Yep. So this is how Pangu describes it, right? Chitti Likiyo Singh Bota. Chitti Likiyo Singh Bota. Right? So Bota Singh writes a letter. Athe Sota, that I have a very stout stick in my hand. Vechira Karota, 
that I'm standing in the way, right? This is what he writes in the letter. It's pretty damn poetic. And, you know, you need to remember, Pangu is recounting something which probably happened, you know, maybe 60 years before the establishment of Maharaja Ranjit Singh's empire. So people's memories are pretty acute, pretty sharp, because that letter later became versified throughout the Punjab to insult Zakaria Vid. Sikhs actually used to read it out in the Sangat as a joke. It's, it, uh, it sounds uh, similar to what the letters that uh, the Zaporizian Cossacks wrote to the Ottoman uh, Caliph. Yep, they do. Anna laya gade, anna laya gadenu. Pesa laya kota, right? One anna for a cart. One pesa for a ass. Jackass. Kota. Mule. <laughs> yep, that's the Gariya Khan. He's the jackass Kota. They actually <laughs> worship him as a saint in Pakistan, I think. They do, because uh, he converted a lot of people. Yep, and killed a lot of Sikhs. So remember yep. that the next time you give your tourist dollars to Pakistan. Uh... Are pounds okay? Because uh, I saw a Twitter post recently, they did some collection for the flood victims. Why are they collecting for flood victims, you know, when they as a state claim that they're 101% perfect with God's grace? See, no, this, uh, is the <clears throat> this is the problem with theocracy. If you're claiming your government is the uh, perfect government because your faith is the perfect faith, and God is actually running your government really well, why are you hit by calamity all the time? You know, by Bill Bolt and Tornado Valley at the same place? Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a big irony there. <laughs> right. Ak pa bikanonu ya ake sengabota. Right now, this last part he's saying is, "Let my sister-in-law, let my babi Kano, which is you know Zakaria's wife, know that this is what Bota Singh says." So the implication here is that Zakaria Khan is his little asshole of a brother. Mm -hmm. Right now, Zakaria Khan gets this letter at Lahore. He's sitting there, the fat piece of shit, thinking all these thoughts about how he's wiped out the Sings, the Sikhs, how he's finished off the name of Guru Nanak, and all the 72 virgins he will receive to bang in heaven when he dies. And suddenly, this revire is broken by a courier who hands him a message, right? The letter itself. He reads the parchment. And do you know the look on his face? Complete. <laughs> Man. Okay, you tell me. I'll say okay. something in Africa. Sorry. Okay. You know, some feminists are hardcore misandrists, but they still date men. Some? Well, look, I'm just giving them the benefit of the doubt here. Okay. Yep. So it's like a misandrist date. Uh, well, it's like a, you know, anti-men feminist dating a man. And the look on her face when she finds out that she has to pay the dinner bill after an hour of eating 
and you know, pretty much telling the men why women don't need men. But just say check your privilege and walk out. <laughs> so his the look on his face is pretty much like a feminist who actually finds out she has to pay the dinner bills after spending an hour destroying the guy in front of her, telling him that his greatest sin is that he's a man and women don't need men. End of story. Just imagine the look on the face. I can imagine. I've seen quite yep. a few of those videos. <laughs> and that's the same look on our boy Zach's face. You know, Zakaria Zach, that's the same look on his face. <laughs> And he gets up. Well, it is a bit of an effort for his fat ass, but he gets up, he walks around, and he's like, well, why hasn't anyone told me about this? And when the uh, Mughal, you know, the Mughals under him run around trying to find out, they discover that there has been a bit of rumors going around, but no one knew for certain because, A, these two were doing it randomly, and B, most of all, people were actually scared that here was the Zakaria saying that Allah had actually helped him wipe out the Khalsa and there are literally two Khalsa standing on the road beating the crap out of anyone who doesn't offer up tax. Ah, like the you know, people were too afraid uh, to go near Stalin's dead body because it, uh, they were ordered not to disturb his sleep. To say He might wake up and put me to death. <laughs> Pretty much like that. So then Zakaria actually starts calculating how much tax he has lost since this has been ongoing and when it first started. I do believe that this might have been actually going on for a matter of two to three months. No more than that. Pardon? More than that. Yep. And so Zakaria summons his boy Jalaluddin and he's like, Jalaluddin, you need to go crush these two kafirs. And uh, Jalaluddin salutes them and says, whatever you say, boss. And as they're both walking out of the palace to crush the Sikhs, suddenly they decide, oh, well, you know what? We'll take 200 horsemen with us anyway, because, you know, we're, frankly speaking, bloody cowards, and we might get our ass kicked if there are more of them. But, you know, anything goes. So they mount their horses and off they go. They take heavy guns with them, spears, arrows, Pretty much a whole armory just for two individuals who are armed with sticks, a few swords and daggers. So they went there well prepared. Yeah, pretty much well prepared, reading their religious verses, praying and, you know, doing all the random stuff I suppose they used to do back then. Mm -hmm. Now, they stop before entering the area, decide to scout around. And this is where I believe they actually do locate the camp of the Sings. Okay. And then they decide to approach them a bit tactically, so they seal off their exits and then come onto the road itself. Like, it seems there was an area on the Nurdin Sarai road between the road and the jungle where both met, where both converged. And the Sings weren't actually based there because that was quite an obvious location to look for any camps. They were based a bit deeper. All their deeper area was sealed off. Hmm. Right. So they're slowly approaching now. And that's when Garja Singh, or yeah, it's believed it was Garja Singh, 
he looks around and sees the Mughals coming and he's like, holy hell, we actually did it. We actually got them across. We got them to come over. And uh, Bhatta Singh has actually, you know, gone to do his jungle pani. And Garja Singh shouts at him, hurry up, hurry up. The day has arrived. They have actually finally come. And Bhatta Singh's like, oh, come on, bro. Don't, you know, joke around with me. But when he sees them coming, he decides that's it. Shouts out at Jakarta and the Singhs get ready for war. Hmm. Now tell me, would any of this lot today do any sheet? These for pronoun or whatever else they actually sport? Bro, they might. Never really? ever, un, un, never ever underestimate the stupidity of people who are ideologically captured. Pretty much. There be people right. who, who will willingly die because they think that's the right thing to do. I'm doing good. Yep. Do you know uh, those two girls who went to uh, backpacking around uh, the Middle East claiming that uh, you know, the, the terrorism didn't exist and they were killed, raped and murdered? Yeah, yeah, I remember that. That was actually a big case. It's similar to that guy who was told not to approach that... Uh, you know, primitive tribe in the Indian Ocean on their island, but he went anyway and got an arrow through the heart for it. Sentinel Island, yep. Yep. Pretty much so ideologically committed. So, anyhow, this is how Pangu describes how the... Captured. Yep. Yep. So, this is how Pangu describes what the Sikhs looked like, what the Sengs looked like. Now, imagine this scene. <clears throat> Right? In one yep. hand, each they had their kicker sticks and they had their swords around their, you know, necks. Mm -hmm. So, you know, Bhatta Singh and Garja Singh, you know what they used to call their tool booth? Their what? Their uh, toll booth, where they actually had their uh, oh toll I, booth. Yeah, Tell me. I accidentally said yeah, I accidentally said toll booth, but that's where their tools were as well. Their tools of war. They used to call it a killer, a fort. Mm -hmm. Understandably, right. And then one of the Muslim commanders spoke to them. He said, "You know, look at you two, young, handsome." strong why do you want to die fighting for an obsolete religion come over to our side you will get 72 virgins you will get pleasures in this life you will get as many wives as you want and you will go to heaven in the next life why do you want to waste your youth fighting against us hmm. just come and convert to islam that's all we want an invitation, so they were they were indeed peaceful. Adava. Yeah. Right. And the things tell him, brother, go to whatever hell you believe in, because we are here ready to die for our beliefs. We are not going to let you impose on us. So you're telling me the Mughals made them an offer they couldn't refuse? 
pretty much. So take this off or die. Yep. And the things decided to die. Here's a paradox. If you don't do anything with your life, do you really think that life is worth remembering? Well, maybe your sons or maybe your, some of your grandchildren might remember you. Other than that, no, nothing. Right. This is what Guru Granth Sahib tells us. Right. Very deep Shabad. Chandan Kafal Chandan Vas. Right. What is the legacy? What is the fruit of the sandalwood tree? It's scent. Right. Mm hmm. This body's legacy, this body's fruit, is what you do while you have breath in your body. Hmm. Makes sense. Your breath leaves, your breath leaves your body and you haven't done anything with your life. What value remains to you? Right after the briefing stops, nothing remains. Hmm. So whatever you want to do in your life, do it. Even if you have to paradoxically lay down your life while doing it, leave a strong file, a strong legacy for this world. So when you die, you know, Jini Nam Tea game as a katkal, nanak te mukujle keti chutinal, at least you hold your head up here. At least you hold your head up high in front of your maker. True. And the same, yep. These things read Gurbani and understood it quite differently to how we comprehend it today. We believe it shantaras. It only talks about the inside. It doesn't talk about Kes, Kirpan. No, it actually does. Even though there are many who are not going to believe this, but Guru Ramdas actually has a Shabad, right? Anga 312. Mm -hmm. If you look at the Gurmukhi, the English translation is quite wrong, as usual. But Satguru ka kharag sanjyo arpakthe jitkal kantak mar vadariya. Right? Armed mm -hmm. with the cherished sword given by the truth, Vaheguru's disciple extinguishes all their fears of death and battle on. They do? This was the mindset of Pai Bhatta Singh and Karjas. I do believe that could have been the necessity of that time. It was, but look at how if we comprehend Gurbani on its own terms without any other perceptions, especially these Santa Baba perceptions, it will empower us so thoroughly. I mean, it's amazing. This Shabbat of Guru Ramdas, I mean, you can almost see where the Kirpan comes from as the Panchakakar from this Shabbat alone, can't you? Yeah. Right, so here the Sings and the Mughals are parlaying, and then the Sings tell the Mughals that, you know, get stuffed with whatever religious offers you have. Dismount your horses and come at us. You take up whatever weapons you want, and we will beat the crap out of you with our dundee. Mm -hmm. 
And the moguls go, well, come on, boys, let's go to the court. Zakaria might be a fat git, but at least he's a merciful fat git if you convert to his religion. And the... Yep. It's a get-out-of-jail-free card, just convert to Islam and you'll be pardoned. Yep. And so Botha Singh and Gaija Singh reply, well, look, the humans have talked enough. Now it's time for the Shastras to talk. Right? And they said, we were coming to attack. Don't say we did not warn you. Hmm. Don't say we didn't warn you. They ran like lions and suddenly pounced on the nearest troops to them. So when they came forward and started swinging their sticks to hit the Mughals, the Mughals actually had to retreat back. Now imagine 200 men. It's not all the 200 men standing there at the same time. It's not realistically possible for them to attack at the same time. No, no, not at the same time. So just like Jamkor, the Singhs have actually, you know, they have their gila, their fort in such a place that only a few of the Mughals could actually approach them at one time and not all of them. They couldn't, the others in the rear couldn't even see them. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Now, the thing was that the Mughals were actually seeking to save their own lives, but the Sings did not worry about this. One thing you need to remember about the uh, Mughals and other jihadis and Mujahideen, even ISIS today, are that basically they fight knowing there is life in the next world. They fight to die. But if you can you know, infuriate them enough, if you look at the Islamic armies, which were defeated by the Mongols, the Sikhs, even the British, the Americans, all they really needed to do was they instigated these guys, made them think that God was on their side, and as usual, tried and proven fact, it happens even today, these guys rush headlong into battle, thinking God is on their side, they're going to get something in the next life, and that's when ambushes are sprung, maneuvers are done, and ultimately, it's only when those first two four lines are cut down that the others at the back suddenly realize that, you know what, Maybe it isn't our day with God today. Hmm. Right? So the weapons the same said, as we know, are swords, daggers, sorte, even lumps of solidified mud and rocks and slings. Well, since they had a, li- a little fort over there, must have accumulated a lot of them. Yep. And a, what a, little, a little pebble, a little pebble, if thrown in the correct way, can do a lot of damage. Yep. And that's suddenly what they started doing. One came close swinging the sticks, the two, uh, the Mughals went for him, but the other one started using a sling from a distance, and the closest one started hurling rocks with his hand or just, you know, grabbing their necks, punching them. And suddenly, very suddenly, the Mughals realized that they have been had. Basically, the Sengs have used the tactic of breaking everything down into small details. Only a few of them can actually approach them, and the few who do approach them can't get one without being hit by the other. Well, if, if you if you are an expert in hand-to-hand fighting, if the enemy is closer to you, the enemy has got no chance. Pretty much. 
So the Mughals retreated and they decided to use arrows. Now these arrows, when it hit the bodies of the Sinks, they just broke them off. Mm-hmm. Right? Pangu says, Cham maas shastar lage to sing manne nahi. They didn't feel the pain. They refused to obey the pain. Look at that, you know, special discipline. They just didn't, you know, pay any attention to the pain. Mm-hmm. When some of these weapons actually managed to purge to the bone, that's when they started feeling a bit tired. Yep, serious injuries. Yep. They started feeling a bit tired. Now, what the Mughals decided to do was use these distance weapons, but then Boyf Singh suddenly started, picked up their slings, so it was evenly matched. Then they decided to get close to them and trample them, you know, with their horses. But the Sengs started targeting the exposed parts of the horses, so the horses started fleeing in terror. Now you have this confined space. One horse is hit really hard, turns and starts panicking, starts biting the horses next to them because when horses panic, they bite. And suddenly the stampede which they wanted to direct towards the Sengs is directed towards themselves. Yep. Right, so this battle continues for a long time. Hmm. And you know, Bottasing and Gajasing are actually insulting the Mughals all the while, shouting at a lot of insults at them. Um, I totally believe that. Yep. When an arrow hit them, this is what they're actually saying. Senga kahe, that look at how useless your bloody arrows are. They can't even cut us down. So That's now the Mughals decide. To, yep. Now the Mughals decide to get off their horses. They're like, damn it, it's not our day today. Our God has deserted us. They take their swords and rush the Sikhs. Now, have you ever done any stick versus blade fighting in your life? Uh. No. Right. So this is what Pangu actually says. The Sings fought back to back. They made the best use possible of the space. So the Mughals can't really get behind them, but they're actually, you know, having one of having more than one of themselves killed. And by this time there are two Sings, but there are you know, 10 to 15 bodies lying at their feet. So they're holding each each other to six. Pretty much. And what's also happening down here is that, you know, we actually trained in this blade versus stick fighting. So if someone attacks you with a stick and you have a blade, are you going to use the sharp end of the blade to stop a stick or the flat face of the blade? Of course, the flat face. The flat face, right? Why won't you use the sharp edge? Because the sharp edge is, is for cutting when we have a good chance. That's exactly the way they use the, the Japanese katana. Yep, and it will get stuck. Mm-hmm. Of course it will get stuck here, yeah, of course. Yep. So now what's happening is that the things are basically blocking it on the stick and just smash, turning the stick around and smashing it in their faces, smashing their nose, breaking their faces. Uh... 
one of them just dodges a blow and swings the stick. You know, with the stick, you're actually aiming for the edge to hit the individual and not the anything behind the edge. So the edges are doing a lot of damage, so much so that these kicker, the dunder, also render their shields and hands useless as well. True. Right. Then the Mughals retreat again, and they sit down and they do their prayers and whatever superstition they believe in, and then they talk to each other that we need to take our guns. Mm -hmm. So, standing at a distance, they load their heavy guns and start firing at the things. So they had to bring in the best they had got. Right, so now what happens is these heavy bullets break bones, they break sticks, and they break hands, and they break legs. So the things take their sticks at their left hands because the gunfire has made them lame. Mm. Now the Mughals come to them and say, look, we have broken your legs. Your guru can't save you. Come, believe in Muhammad, read the Kalma and become Muslims like us. And you know what the Singhs did? Well, obviously, <laughs> I think they might have laughed at them. Well, the guys who came close saw that they looked a bit desperate and they decided, well, you know what, they will convert to Islam. And as they're coming closer, the Singhs are standing on one leg. They're hobbling around. They suddenly swing their staffs and break their necks. That's that what you know, do. you're telling us that we're going to get, yeah, yep, you know, they're basically the uh, thinking at the time is you're telling us we're going to get 72 virgins in heaven. Well, here you go and get your share first and then tell us what they're like. <sighs> the magical number, 72. 72. Now, they fall, but they still keep on fighting. When they bring the horses close, they cut the horses' uh, shins, their hooves with their knives and their swords. If they get off the horse, the Mughals, they just stab them in the groin straight away. So they're still killing more and more of them. Still killing more and more of them. Yep. Singan to mori na akh, esa gai bade ham akh. Pangu says that the Sings refuse to flinch their eyes, even wink. This is what his elders tell them. Mm -hmm. Akata soi more, akata soi more, just jet ketch sankai. Only those gaze away, those flee from the battlefield of death. Who love life and are cowards. Right? Yeah, yep. Fearing true, true. That the, yep. So, fighting to the bitter end, the Sings finally died. They finally right? died. They died with their eyes open. That this human life 
ਬਾਏ ਪ੍ਰਪਤ ਮਨੁੱਖ ਦੇ ਹੋਰੀ ਗੋਬਿੰਦ ਮਲਨ ਕੀ ਤੇਰੀ ਬੜੀਆ ਅਵਰ ਕਾਜ ਤੇਰੇ ਕਿਤੇ ਨਾ ਕਾਮਲ ਸਾਧ ਸੰਗਤ ਪਜ ਕੇ ਬੋਲਨਾ ਦਿਸ ਵਨ ਲਾਈਫ ਵੀ ਹੈਵ ਬੀਨ ਗਿਵਨ ਟੂ ਮੀਟ ਯਰ ਮੇਕਰ ਵੀ ਆਰ ਨਾਟ ਗੋਇੰਗ ਟੂ ਵੇਸਟ ਇਟ ਬਾਈ ਲੈਟਿੰਗ ਯੂ ਇੰਪੋਜ਼ ਔਨ ਅਸ ਯੋਰ ਫਿਕਸ਼ਸ ਕ੍ਰੀਡ ਯੋਰ ਰਿਲੀਜੀਅਸ ਫਾਲਸਿਟੀਜ਼ ਯੋਰ ਰਿਲੀਜੀਅਸ ਟਰਨੀ ਹੂੰ isn't forcing me to see the world the way you see it or forcing me to change my language isn't that forced conversion pretty much how's that different well that's the point i was making before all these you know self deluded you know self alleged victims what's the difference between them and terrorists nothing boy for acting from a place of why a place of you know victimization where they believe they believe they've been wronged only fingers one lot is doing something physically and the other lot is subtly trying to alter society from within boy for negative purposes <sighs> yep right now when the mughals see that the sings have fallen they get off their horses and start butchering the bodies into even smaller pieces fearing that they will get up to fight again there was there was the usual tactic and still continues to this day yep and pangu says that well this is a mythological aspect on his part they went in glory to vahiguru who sent them to guard the prison where all the islamic peers and prophets were imprisoned Hmm. Now, you know what one thing stands out here? Tell me. It's a sin to be a man in today's society, particularly a masculine man, because, you know, masculinity on its own is not wrong, but suddenly they have added this label of toxic next to it. And now, universally, they're arguing that the very concept of masculinity is a societal construct and at the same time being masculine is toxic and that's why it's called toxic masculinity not by what you're doing but just by the fact that you're a man you're a sinner and who is allowing all of that you tell me i'll tell you through this way yep uh china actually made it a policy that in the in schools boys should not be taught by female teachers right why because it emasculates them that's that's what they think they want to make yep. their men their boys yep and no wonder china is rising rising towards the top Do you, do you think there's anybody anybody in China using pronouns? No. Nope. <laughs> What's the reason for it? Oh, well, I know they they are tyrannical, but uh, some some of the their techniques are successful or maybe in the real world where, where people have to worry about real things, they don't have time for, for such shenanigans. pretty much and you need to look at the makeup of chinese society we seeks are losing our seek society makeup for all this you know for the voicism which is coming among us 
But, you know, look at the masculinity of Pai Pota Singh and Karja Singh. Why couldn't they have just have a conversation with them? Oh, yeah, you know, could have done something like, you know, Guru Nanak taught democracy, freedom of speech, blah, 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 and all that rubbish which is promoted by a certain individual. I will say it in two individuals. No, why couldn't they promote interfaith harmony and just sit down, have some food and then hug each other and, you know, just go their own way? Yeah, because Sakhi is Indo-Abrahamic. Oh, even that idiot blocked us as well on Twitter. <laughs> right, the thing is, Bhatta Singh and Garja Singh were two Gursikh Khalsa men who knew what reality was and they chose to go with reality. Is there any account that uh, when the Mughals uh, invited Bhutta Singh and Garja Singh to, to convert to Islam, didn't they give any example of uh, Muslims okay. helping uh, Sikh gurus and they say, well, we are, we are not any different anyhow? Yeah, like that lie that Mia Mir laid the foundation stone for their bar sahib. That, that's exactly what I, where I'm hinting at. Right. They did nothing like that. There was nothing like that at the end of the day. And Bhutta Singh and Karja Singh became martyrs. They held on to their beliefs, their convictions. They died for what they believed in. They stuck to their guns to the bitter end. And look at the friendship between these two men. Look at the, you know, well, I'm not going to say closeness because those idiots would misinterpret this. But that friendship that if we stick together, we die together. They didn't know each other before this transpired. No, they didn't. Right. It was the Khalsa Brotherhood. The Khalsa Brotherhood. And you know what the effect of the martyrdom was? Tell me. This image they had created as a Korean company of, you know, the Islamist theocracy in Punjab, it started breaking. It started breaking. Well, not too long after that, the Sikhs became the masters of Punjab. Yep, pretty much. And... There is a certain group who will argue that freedom is a right, but I've always believed that you know freedom is a responsibility since you taught me those principles. And based on that, I believe that the responsibility of freedom was effectively lived by both by Bhutta Singh and Karja Singh. Well, freedom is a right if somebody can deliver the right to you. I have a right to free speech, but if, if, I, if I can't say what I want to say and there's somebody on my door who will beat me up or kill me if I say something, then that right doesn't exist. Yep. It, so this it's is within, within a certain framework where the state can deliver justice. But, you know, at the same time, you've got to remember what makes men like, you know, well, if we become like by Bhutta Singh and Karja Singh, this current generation of Sikhs will be seen as being dangerous as well, because that's a good thing. A dangerous man, this is for the boys and men out there, a dangerous man, even if the woman want to accept this. If you're a Sikh, do you know why you're dangerous? Well, many ways. One of them is like the ideology you have. It uh, yep. it focuses more on personal responsibility than victimhood. The principle of Guru Nanak basically is that you know that you're dangerous. You're capable of quite a lot, but you are holding that under restraint, right? 
the human beast, the human savage is under control. But once limits of tolerance are breached and you let it out, God save whoever the hell is in front of you. Because then don't stop until the bitter end. That's something uh, Baba Peterson in Canada says. <laughs> well, we get accused of quite a lot. And now the new accusation is that the Republicans, Peterson and Shapiro, are actually paying us to spread anti-woke propaganda. Ben Shapiro paying somebody. Are you crazy? Well, there you go. That's the accusation being hurled at us. So first it was RSS agent. And now it's become this Republican agent, you know, col- colonization agents. That's what they call us nowadays. <laughs> it's really, really funny because the people who accuse you of that, they themselves chose to move to the countries founded by this evil, patriarchal, oppressive, racist white men. And then they're not willing to leave. You know what they say, what is it? Brahman, Jatsis, gender, heteropatriarchy, or whatever rubbish they've come up with? Uh, they're probably like 20 adjectives and then one verb. <laughs> Basically, the fingers that they claim that when we talk about Sikh Shahids, Khalsa Shahids in the light, they were like, you know, for example, by Bhutta Singh and Gurja Singh, they didn't do anything for anyone else. See, here's the thing. True selflessness is making someone independent of you. It's not making someone dependent on you, especially with a longer bucket. Well, your truth is different to my truth. That's what I would say. <laughs> If you were in that camp. On the other hand, another reality down here is that they accuse people who speak the truth of imbibing Western reactionary ideals when in reality they're the ones forwarding Western reaction ideals themselves. What exactly is Western? What exactly is a woman? What exactly is a man? They don't know. They can't define it. And that's no, why they, they... Yep, that's why they started... The real men and real women, but they can't define it. Nope. That's why they start having problems when you start talking about, you know, Sikh historical figures, that, especially like by Bhutta Singh and Gurja Singh. Pure masculinity. Pure manliness. Right? Maybe that's something that scares them. It does. Pure savagery. If individuals like that rise up and start challenging governments of the day, they knew they were going to be killed. But still to do that, to hit the government where it hurts, look at it. I mean, the self-interest in this for them was Karl Saraj. Right? Yeah, at that time, yes. Right? So there it is. There you go. They were fighting for something. You can't say that they went and died for someone else. If they died, they died for their Sikhi, for their fellow Sikhs, and for their future generation of Sikhs. Hmm. And today, today, we have idiots on social media saying, oh, can I please cut my case because I want to be selfless and Sikhi is about being selfless. <laughs> By Bhutta Singh and Gurja Singh come back today, those sticks are going to be on our heads. Most probably. 
after I time, you know, the bunt needs to get its act together, but then don't worry about the people who don't want to. They can't stand up to you. You argue with them a few times or you ignore them. Don't hit them. Don't, uh, you know, confront them directly. Confront their ideology. Once the ideology is exposed, these people have no leg left to stand on. <clears throat> yep, that's true. And like we said before, your hate is hard, Gurbani is hard, but virtue signaling is easy. And misinterpreting Sikhi for your virtue signaling is even more easy. I recently, found, yep. I recently found out who was the founder of the Dil Saf Jatha. Who? Who? The traitor who led the Persians to that uh, shepherd path behind the Spartans. Oh, yes. Yes, the hunchback. The hunchback. Hmm. He just wanted exchange of cultures. He, he, he was, uh, well, probably didn't want any war because that's toxic masculinity. Right, right. So he wanted to avoid all, all conflict. He was a peace-loving hippie and uh, he started Dil Sab Jata and uh, he, that, that's exactly what he wanted to do to end the conflict. He wanted both the Spartans and Persians to hug each other and sing songs and dance. He wanted to de-Greekify Greek society, which was very capitalistic at that point. Yeah, yeah, of course. And also, also patriarchal, so they had to smash the patriarchy and so on, you know. And he couldn't criticize the Middle Easterns because that's racist. Pretty much. And the thing is, though, at the end of the day, on a more serious note, all the stupidity which is going on, all this is an excuse for our own failings, if you think about it. They have failed. They couldn't stand up to those gore putting the uh, you know putting their judies, uh, their gutta in the schools, right? Got thrashed mm -hmm. by a gore, can't take a punch to the face. Had a few racist encounters, can't face up to it because their fairy illusions of a woke utopia is broken. They have all these experiences. They can't accept the reality of them. They can't face up to them. They can't confront their inner demons. They tell us we have the demons, but their own demons are killing them twenty four seven. Ultimately, they have to go full woke because they know they can't take a stand against tyranny like by Bota Singh, by Garja Singh. They have to jump on bandwagons where there is a lot of people on before them. So they have protection in numbers. True. They can't make an individual stand. Uh -huh. And that's why you see them running to BLM. And I've seen many black people criticize BLM themselves. Then they run to the transgender issue. Now the US and UK Supreme Courts are saying that these practices are medically unfit. Leading medical experts are saying these are unfit. So now they have to run and find a new issue, which is basically of Islamophobia. But then, you know, all the problems across the West, those are suddenly beginning to turn into a massive right-wing backlash. So then they have to leave that and jump onto another bandwagon. That's their whole life. One bandwagon after another. Don't you think it's it's the herd mentality that if I, I'm with the with the majority or whatever that's currently popular, I'm protected. In one way or another, they're trying to seek validation for Sikhi because they themselves can't accept Sikhi in their hearts and minds. They have to see other people accepting them by virtue signaling for them to accept Sikhi themselves. 
Hmm. Look at how they struggle to accept Sikhi and look at why Bhota Singh and Garja Singh, their total acceptance of Sikhi. Do you really think in the future they will have trigger warnings in front of the pictures of Shaheeds in the Gurdwara? Navjit Singh Ji, with you and me there, I'm not, we're not going to allow it to happen. You know that and I know that. If it does, over our dead bodies. Well, today or tomorrow, the current generation is going to take over the Gurdwara management, so... Well, then we just have to be ready for the upcoming battle. <laughs> it sounds like a plot of a very, very bad movie. That's the life of a Sikh. We battle with ourselves. We battle with the forces outside. Well, not just Sikh, any any rational human being. Yep. Anybody with the superpower of common sense or anybody who has been cursed with intelligence. You need to make a stand. You need to take a stand in your life. You need to take a stand in your life. Nah, just sitting in my bed is more comfortable. So you have to leave comfort. Look at those who died for us. They left their comforts. On another note, moving on from there, look at the military strategies of Pai Botas and Garja Singh. Break the foy down into small details. Hit the center of gravity. Use what is at your disposal, the poor man's virtue. Yeah, yeah. You know, before concluding, one thing I'd like to say is that <clears throat> Gurbani tells us not to have too much greed, right? Yeah. That means do not let strategy decide your tools. Instead, let your tools decide your strategy. Yeah. For whatever you do in life. Right? Let your tools decide your strategy. Think creatively with whatever you have. Do you think true knowledge or true wisdom is intended for the masses? No, no, it can't be because the masses will never accept it. Hmm. Right. Anything else to add? Uh, I would say no at this moment. Because naturally on this particular issue, you know much more than me. Hmm. Well, basically, only Benti... Listen to Gurbani, read Gurbani, comprehend Gurbani, live Gurbani. Always be careful about whichever bandwagon you jump on. Remember, our sheets fought for themselves. Don't let this liberal lot get you down that fighting for yourself is a major sin. We have to get our children killed for others. Never happened. Never will happen. Even Wahiguru sees this as a great sin. That's all for today. Thank you very much for listening to us. Wahiguru ji ka khalsa. Wahiguru ji ka khalsa. Thank you.